Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Heavenly Father, as we prepare to go to the scriptures to learn today, I pray that we would think about the things that are true, the things that are pure, the the things that are honorable, the things that are excellent. Because Father, you are the definition of all of that. You are what is true. You are what is pure. You are what is honorable. So I pray that as we listen, uh, well, as I speak and, and everyone else listens, that that would not be about what I'm trying to, to say and convince uh, people of. It, it would be about what you have for us. And so, Lord, help us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things, not on earthly arguments, not on what we've previously believed, but that today we would put our hearts and minds on you and be open to what you have for us. But, Father, as much as we are seeking after truth, we are reminded that you, Jesus, were described as being full of grace and truth. And so, Father, I pray that there would just be a lot of grace in this message, that for those who maybe uh, disagree with where I come from today, that there would be a lot of grace, but likewise, that I would teach with a lot of grace, that I would teach in a manner that is worthy of you, um, and that that grace is sensed by your people today. So, Lord, I pray that you just fill this room with your presence, fill our hearts and our minds, that you would lead and guide our, our time together as we dive into some controversial subjects. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Four weeks ago, oh, by the way, my name is Aaron. If I've not had a chance to meet you, thank you so much for coming, whether you're here in person or you're online. Uh, Four weeks ago, uh, I put out a little video, a pre-sermon video, pre-series, I should say. And and in that video, I I basically was trying to say to the Riverwood family, hey, we're going to go into this Imago Day series, and we're going to end up touching upon a few, like, uh, controversial things. Well, if you've been with us the past three weeks as we've been in the series, you may be wondering, so why did Aaron create that video? Like, it hasn't really been all that controversial. Well, today's your day. Uh, now, maybe last week uh, would have made you uncomfortable if you were a white supremacist and to hear that God loves all people of all races, all ethnicities, that heaven's going to be populated with them, that with God there is no partiality. So maybe you were a little uncomfortable last week, but since I didn't get any angry emails, I suspect that most of you were fine with what you heard last week. Today, though, maybe this week I'll get some emails. Uh, Before we jump in, though, um, before we started this uh, series, before I even created that video, um, I ended up sharing this series with some people. Uh, I kept the uh, elders abreast. I got their input on some of the subject matter we would be dealing with, uh, you know, talking with, with Jake as we meet each week one-on-one with the, the Sunday team as we meet monthly. But I also talked with a couple of people uh, who are friends of mine. They're Jesus followers, but they're not part of the Riverwood family. And uh, because of the relationship I have with them, I just somehow ended up sharing with them what we were going to be doing. And they're like, Aaron, that's great. That sounds so good. Just preach the truth. Now, when they said that, I know they were really trying to encourage me. Like, Aaron, just preach truth because the scriptures teach that when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so the idea was, man, if I just help give you guys the truth, this will help you in your walk with Jesus or wherever you're at spiritually. But while they meant it as encouragement, I, I noticed in my heart, I, I bristled a little bit. Like, like I, I pulled back a touch. And I, I couldn't figure out why. 
So, I mean, these, these are my friends. Like, they're, they're for me. They love me. They, they would, you know, even though they're not part of Riverwood, they, they would, you know, be rooting for Riverwood. So I wondered why was it that when they said, just preach truth, I bristled. So I, I did some introspection. And I, I thought of three reasons. The, the first reason why I think I, I just bristled at this, this phrase was that when they said, just preach truth, what they were trying to say was, Aaron, don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about how they're going to respond. But what I've seen sometimes is that when people just preach truth, it ends up meaning we just don't care about people. Like it really doesn't matter about you. I'm just going to declare the truth and you be damned. And and so that's where I I bristled a little bit. Because Ephesians 4.15 tells us to preach the truth in love. So yes, I'm supposed to preach truth, but it's to be done in love. And what does the scripture teach us about love? It's patient. It's kind. It doesn't get angry. It doesn't get, make the person puffed up. And yet some of the people that I hear saying, just preach truth, they don't sound very patient. They don't sound very kind. Instead, they sound angry. And sometimes they're being puffed up. And I don't sense a lot of grace. So that's the first reason why I found myself just bristling a little bit at this idea of just Aaron, just preach the truth. The, the second thing that, that made me just a little uncomfortable was when, when you're saying preach truth, it, it means you're going to be countering some falsehoods, right? I'm going to be doing that today. But sometimes in our attempt to counter some falsehoods, we end up not attacking the argument, we attack the person, and set them up as the enemy. For proof, just go to your mailbox this week and pull out the political ads. Because they don't sit there and say, here's their position and here's why it's wrong. They say, this person is an enemy of America. If you vote for them, you're also an enemy. We set the other up as the enemy. And sadly, I've been seeing that political vitriol bleeding into Christianity where certain pastors and preachers will get up and they don't attack a theology that they disagree with or maybe a philosophy of ministry. They attack the very people, treating them as though though they are the enemy. But to quote from Ephesians 6, I mean, to quote from Ephesians again, this time in chapter 6, it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. These humans, these fellow image bearers, are not our enemy. Our enemy, our opponent, are the principalities, the spiritual forces of darkness. It's our adversary of God. Jesus describes Satan as a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what I've noticed is so often when people are like, just preach truth, they create the others as enemies, and if they don't agree with them, we must steal, kill, and destroy them. Now, we're not going to go about actually murdering them physically, but hey, if we can murder their reputation we win. So if we can get them out of a job, out of ministry, out of town, out of our lives, we win. That's not how Christ treated us. Romans chapter 5 says that even while we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. Because even though we treated him like an enemy, he did not view us as the enemy. He knew sin was the enemy. So he came to vanquish sin through the cross to redeem us. 
So that's why today, as, as we look at this, I, I'm, I just can't set other, the, you know, I'm not going to attack any people because people are not our enemy. Some of these ideas might be, but people are not. And then third, the uh, third reason I got a little uncomfortable, I think, is that um, when it comes to truth, we say one thing, but we do something else. Uh, I think if I were to ask you guys to give me a definition of truth, most of you would attempt to um, give me a, a dictionary type of definition. You'd probably say, well, truth is, you know, something that uh, aligns with fact and reality. Right? That, that's a, a fairly good definition. And, and I believe that no matter where you're at on the political or theological spectrum, whether you're super progressive or super conservative, you would agree with that. In fact, some of you would even take it a little further and say, well, truth is truth regardless of how you feel. And yet what I've noticed is most of us will say that out loud, but internally, no, truth is whatever I already believe. Truth is whatever this person I already trust says. But if someone from the other camp says something, it's not true. And what happens then is that when someone like me says something that doesn't fit in your preconceived box or doesn't seem to align with the other voices that are in your life, you immediately assume it's false. But yet I could also get up here, tell you something that is actually false, but because you all like me and maybe you think like me, you're going to be going, man, Aaron, way to just give them the truth. And so this is why I created a video four weeks ago. In a sense, to, to ask you, would you set your, your, your like lens down? All of us have an ideological lens. It, it, through it is how we view life. We have a filter. I, I will admit, I have a filter. And it is so difficult to set that down. I'm not asking you to completely get rid of it. I'm asking you, though, just to open it up. Because it is possible that I'm wrong on some of these things, and you're actually right, and you're going to need to question and ask, why are you right? Just like I had to do some introspection to figure out why did I bristle when my friends said, just preach truth. You're going to have to ask yourself, why did you bristle when I said those certain things? But also, you might unknowingly be wrong. And God is wanting to help you get to this place of truth. Because, as I've said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He's got something better for you. But if all you do is keep your truth box closed, you miss out. And I don't want that for you. So by now, you're probably wondering, what in the world is this controversial topic going to be? Well, perhaps you can figure it out from the title of today's sermon, the ending of the Imago Day. Now, don't misread that. Today is not the end of our series. We actually have one more week in it. And you're probably going, so why didn't you do this next week? That's because I invited someone to come and speak, and they were not available next week. So we flip-flopped, moved it to this week, and we'll finish our series next Sunday. But as you see there, the ending of the Imago Day, today we're going to be talking about death. This means we're going to be touching lightly, but it's going to have to force us to begin to think about subjects like war, about suicide, euthanasia, abortion. We're going to dive into some really sticky stuff. When it comes to this topic of death, I've noticed a couple of things. Number one, 
our culture that we live in is very, very loud on some of these issues, particularly the topic of abortion. But also, I feel like I see some Christians who are inconsistent in their application of this idea of the ending of the Imago Dei. First, let, let me, let's talk about uh, the, the noise of our culture. When you hear something repeatedly, forcefully, loudly, you can sometimes begin to believe it's true whether you realize it is, it's false or not. Uh, let me give you an example. Oh, by the way, that's just the nursery kids trying to fix the walls back there. Uh, Many of you know I'm a member of the Waverly Exchange Club. Every spring, uh, our club gives uh, some scholarships. Uh, one of our scholarships is called the ACE Award. Now, ACE is supposed to be an acronym, but it's the worst acronym ever in the entire world. It stands for Accepting Life's Challenges with Excellence. And yet, somehow, you drop the L and the W and get ACE. Okay, but it was there way before I got there, so you don't blame me for this. But the idea of this award is for someone, some student who's had to overcome some huge obstacle in their life. We've had recipients who uh, have gone through the loss of a parent. Uh, we've had other recipients who've had to fight some sort of physical handicap. Uh, others have, have, you know, fought through some sort of, um, uh, you know, discrimination uh, against their, their race or, or something. One recipient, she was our award winner because of her journey through an eating disorder. Uh, on the day she received her scholarship, she read to us aloud the essay that she wrote when she applied for the scholarship. She shared that back in middle school, I think it was like fifth or sixth grade, there was another girl in her class who decided that this girl was, she was going to pick on. And so she became a bully. And so our award winner as a fifth grader starts being picked upon. And one of the things she's constantly told is, you're fat. You're fat. You're ugly. No one likes you. You're fat. You're ugly. No one likes you. Just repeatedly. Now, this girl was not fat a bit. And she's nowhere even close to ugly. And yet, you know what she believed? That she was fat and ugly. And so because she couldn't control the bully, she decided she could at least control her weight. And so she stopped eating. It got so bad, she ended up in the hospital. They feared for her life. And she shared through her essay the journey of getting back to health and being able to get back to even doing athletics again. And it all began because of a lie, said repeatedly and forcefully. Our culture on some of these issues is like that bully. It is saying some things very, very loudly, very, very forcefully, and if you don't fully agree with it, they try to cancel you or then force you onto their side. And so what this means is that many of you have been hearing from this loud culture, and because you've heard it for so long, that's what seems right. That's what seems true. So when I say something that sounds different than that, your immediate assumption is going to be, that's wrong. And that's why I'm asking you today to try to just crack open the ideation lens and try to let this through. Ask yourself, question your questions. Am I actually right on this? If you are, you'll be far more settled. But if you're not, maybe this is what God's using to help you understand his heart for humans more. Because again, at Riverwood, our goal is to help you to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. In order for that to happen, you have to view humans the way God views them. And that means you have to understand his viewpoint on death. 
The second thing is that I've noticed that some Christians are inconsistent on this topic. <coughs> Excuse me. This is going to come as no surprise, but there are many Christians who would consider themselves what they call pro-life. Our culture would call them anti-abortion. And they would even go so far as to say, I will only vote for a political candidate who is pro-life. And yet, they would have no problem voting for a political candidate who is very pro-death penalty. Now, you may be saying, but Aaron, that child has a right to life. The criminal, though, they lost their right to life through their actions. We're going to talk about that some today, but I hope to show you how that is a little inconsistent, and I think we can do something better. Like I said, it's going to get messy today. So we're going to look at two different passages of Scripture today. Uh, the first one is in the book of Genesis. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open up to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and head to chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we're going to be putting it on the screen because the subject matter is important enough. We want you to read and learn along with us. But if you're a first-time guest and don't have a Bible, we are totally fine with digital Bibles. So if you have a Bible on your phone, feel free to pull that out and navigate to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, if you would prefer to have a paper Bible, we have some on our resource table. So after our worship gathering, please stop by there and either ask me or one of our ushers uh, which translation would be best for you, and we'll get that one into your hands. And then that's our gift to you, because we'd love for you to not only have a Bible on Sundays, we would love you to just have a Bible for any day. Uh, Genesis chapter uh, 1, we began in uh, three weeks ago. We saw God, the uh, triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, say, let us make mankind in our image, in the image of likeness, we, we should make them. So uh, he made the male and female, Adam and Eve. Well, then we've dipped into chapter three of Genesis, and we've seen where they sinned against God. God gave them one do not command. That was do not eat of this one particular fruit, and yet they broke that command. Well, God also gave them another command. Back in chapter one, he tells them to be fruitful and multiply, and so here in chapter 4, we see them actually begin to follow that command. So join me in Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So Adam and Eve have a couple of kids. They grow up and they take on careers. Abel becomes a shepherd and Cain a farmer. And out of their bounty, they each bring this offering to the Lord. Now you probably caught on there that God liked Abel's offering but not so much Cain's, and it made Cain a little peeved. He was, he was sad. He, he's upset. Now, when I was a kid, I was taught that the reason God accepted Abel's was because it was a blood sacrifice. A blood sacrifice was needed for the payment of sin. But for Cain, he only brought these fruits and vegetables, and so that wasn't enough to pay for his sin. Well, I was taught wrong. 
The Hebrew word there for offering just simply means like a tribute. It, it, it's a gift. Right? This is not like what you see in the Mosaic Covenant where the ancient Jews had to sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of their sins. This is just simply an act of worship. And so it isn't that Cain is bringing the wrong thing. It's that he's bringing it with the wrong attitude. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, we see that Abel brought his offering by faith. In other words, he brought it with a sense of trust that even though he's giving up, you know, a, a calf to the Lord, God can provide for him. He's doing this in genuine worship to God. In contrast, Cain is bringing his, but he must fear. He must be doing this reluctantly. This must be, feel like duty. He must wonder, am I going to have enough later? And so he's doing this not in true worship. Maybe he's doing this out of duty. And God looks at him and goes, oh, no, no, no. If you do right, if you just bring the right heart, I accept it. God's not against vegetables. Sorry, kids. It's not that meat's better. It's, it's that, no, it's the heart. That's what he wants. And so God warns him. Cain, I can see what's happening in your heart. Be careful. Well, Cain doesn't heed the warning. And instead, we see this. Pick it up in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, well, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Cain, rather than remove the obstacle that is in his heart, decides to remove the obstacle that is his brother. And he kills him in cold blood. Did you hear God's response to the murder? First, he asks him a question. That's very much like what God did with Adam and Eve in chapter 3. They, they, they sinned, and Jesus, God asked them a question. Not because he didn't know, but it was an opportunity for them to repent, to confess. But like his parents, he lies. He, he tries to distract. He blurs it, goes, well, I don't know where he's at. Like, am I my brother's keeper? And then did you hear what God said? The voice of your brother's blood. Right? Now, we all know that blood does not have vocal cords, and so therefore cannot create intelligible sounds to say, hey, God, this was really bad. No, you see, inside of human blood is DNA. And it is in, in that DNA, human DNA, resides the image of God. Scientists will tell you that humans are very, very like so much of the rest of creation in our DNA. We're like a lot of plants, a lot of different animals. The, the animal that we are closest to is the chimpanzee. There is only a 1.2% difference between humans and chimpanzees. Now, I think chimpanzees are kind of a cool animal. Right? They're pretty intelligent. They've learned sign language. Some of them can build some, some things. And yet none of them have created a religion. I don't know of any business books written by the chimps for chimp economy. I, I, I don't know of any long history of famous chimp philosophers. Like they, they haven't invented their own methods of transportation like the car or an airplane. They haven't invented the smartphones or TikTok which actually is probably proof that they're smarter than us, but I should pull that one back. 
there may only be 1.2% difference. And yet that 1.2% difference is the image of God. By the way, did you know that there is only a 0.1% difference between humans? And yet if you think about the wide variety here and the wide variety throughout the earth, just that 0.1% is all God needs to do to create this. So how much larger is 1.2% difference in our DNA? Hidden inside that sliver is the image of God. It just separates humans from the rest of creation. So when Cain spills his brother's blood, God felt it because his image was there. Even though sin has tried to ruin the image, God can still see it. He can still recognize it. He can still hear it. And it cries out to him. Because as we saw in week two, when you have the image of God, you belong to God. You see, Abel did not belong to Cain. Abel did not bear the image of Cain. Yeah, Cain's the older brother, but he had no right to do with with Abel's life whatever he wanted. Only God can decide who should live and who should die. And so God says to him, your brother's blood cries out to me. It grieved God to have his image bearer killed. And so I think if we're going to follow God, to to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved, we've got to be incredibly reluctant to kill. And so what this means is that perhaps we need to rethink our ideas of war. I'm not saying that there's no reason ever to go to war. Some Christians would argue that. But maybe we need to not be cheering for our nation to get involved in something like that because it means a bunch of Imago days are going to die. For some of us, it means maybe we need to change our perception and perspective on euthanasia. The elderly. Maybe some of you, you need to go and and help serve, love, come alongside those who are struggling with suicidal ideation. Maybe you need to change your perspective on the death penalty. That maybe we should not be the ones determining whether someone should be in an electric chair or take a poisonous cocktail. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Time out, Aaron. Okay, hang on. Aaron, God says in the scriptures that we can, that he approves the death penalty. I mean, if you just go over even a few chapters, Aaron, over in chapter 9 in Genesis, God himself says that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So Aaron, that sure sounds like approval of the death penalty. You murder someone, you deserve to die. You're right. I will give that to you. Right there, man, man is made in the image of God, so therefore man is very, very valuable. So we do not have the right to go and just kill someone else And so if you shed the blood of someone else, then your blood should be shed. But just because you deserve the death penalty, does that mean we need to give the death penalty? If we continued on in Genesis chapter 4, we see God punish Cain for murdering his brother. But the punishment is not killing him. He exiles him. In fact, Cain begins to whine and cry, God, if you do this to me, someone else is going to find me and kill me. Well, those someone else would be his brothers and sisters. They all liked Abel. Abel's a super awesome guy. You killed our brother? They'd want revenge. God marks Cain to protect him, to protect his life. Why? 
Because in Ezekiel chapter 18, God says he does not delight in death. He created humans to live. Adam and Eve were supposed to live forever. But when they ate of that forbidden fruit, they died spiritually and they began the slow journey to a physical death as well. God does not delight in the ending of the Imago Dei. So just as he grieved the death of Abel, he would have grieved the death of Cain. And so he spares him, lets him live on the earth a little longer. He does not give him what he deserves. And so if God can show mercy like that to a cold-blooded killer? If God could go and change the heart of someone like Paul who was standing there approving of the death of Stephen, a follower of Jesus, then maybe we shouldn't be so quick to say, that person's evil, we need them gone. Because who knows what God would do? Maybe God would change their life while they're in prison. Not saying we just let them roam the streets. But maybe by them living a little longer, they hear the gospel, they come to find Jesus, and they put their faith fully in him. Isn't that what we would want? But maybe you're saying, Aaron, I'm I'm with you all the way. I agree with this. I don't think we should be like pro-death penalty on everything. Maybe that's not where you need your perspective changed. Maybe where you need your perspective changed is on the issue of abortion. And to talk about that, I invite you to open your Bible to Psalm chapter 139. If you have a paper Bible and don't know where the Psalms are, they are right in the middle of your Bible. So uh, just open up to the middle and navigate to Psalm chapter 139 and uh, join me at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. To the large majority of you, this will not come as a surprise. Uh, But if you are a first-time guest with us in person or online or listen to the podcast later, I approach the scriptures like most typical Christians in that I view it as the inerrant word of God. Which means I believe that a perfect God perfectly wrote through 40 imperfect authors exactly what he wanted captured for all of history, for all people around the globe. And so therefore, when I approach sections like Psalm 139, I don't just see it as a poem written by King David, even though that's what it is. I don't just think it's David's attempt to share some deep thoughts, even though I think he does. I think there is this Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, who's breathing through, inspiring, leading David to write exactly what he wants David to write so that you and I and everyone else can have this captured and we might learn from it and benefit from it. And so what is it that I believe God is writing through David for us to know? Well, did you notice that David is saying that even when he was nothing but unformed substance, Nothing but a zygote. 
God knew him and God loved him. God already knew all of the days of his life before he'd even had a breath. When the 23 chromosomes of a sperm match up with the 23 chromosomes of an egg, there are now 46 chromosomes, and that comprises human DNA. And in that DNA is the image of God. And so even though in that moment it's smaller than a poppy seed, it bears the image of God and is therefore precious. And we should not be figuring out ways to kill it. Now, because our culture is so loud on this issue and very, very forceful, there are some of you who are really struggling to hear me say that. It sounds cold-hearted. It sounds antiquated. You've got all this scientific proof that it's not human. And yet, from a theological understanding of scriptures, it is fully human. But I also want you to hear that some of your pushback, I might actually agree with you on some of it. Because right now you're thinking about, what about? What about the woman? What about mental health? What about physical health? What, what about the man? What about her career? What about this? And, and some of you are probably sitting there going, you're a guy. You have no right to speak into this issue. I want you to know I hear you. First of all, I'm not the only person who's speaking into this issue. There are many, 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 many women. In fact, the whole entire pro-life movement is being led by women. And second, much of your pushback, I'm with you. Because I do not believe this is just about a baby. This is about all of those involved. So I think we should be figuring out ways to support the woman. I think we should be finding ways to hold men accountable. I think we should be figuring out ways to not have unwanted pregnancies. I think we should be setting up systems where unwanted babies can be found and given a home and a life and love. And so for those of you who are going, Aaron, just preach the truth. It's a baby. Yes, I, I understand. But this is so complex. We can't just say, well, no more abortion and, and be done. If we're going to live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus lived, we've got to do what we can to step in and help. Help the baby, help the woman, help the dad, help all those affected by this. And that's why I had to flip from last week to this week so that I can invite alternatives to be here. I was not very familiar with Alternatives Pregnancy Center uh, until they opened up their Waverly campus. And as I got to know them, I suddenly discovered that they were not just a pro-baby they were a pro-family group. And I've become very comfortable with who they are and what they're aiming to do. And so that's why I invited Kelsey, the new uh, local director here in Waverly, to come and share a little bit of what they do and give you thoughts of what can you do to be a part of this. All right, so Kelsey, I'll invite you to come up. Um, yes, so we are very much pro-family. So um, we exist to um, be a first stop for those facing unplanned pregnancies. Um, we also address at-risk se sexual behavior, and we really just wanna build healthy families. Um, and before I get into some of the services that we offer, I just wanna tell you a little bit about me and, and some of the things that impacted me and why I'm at Alternatives. Um, so when I was in third grade, 
Um, I found out my oldest brother and his girlfriend, they were juniors at the time in high school, and um, they were pregnant. And um, I just saw how important it is to have that support. So my parents and her parents um, came together and supported them and loved them through that. And so I want to be that support for those that don't have it. Um, and the other thing that really impacted me was about five years ago, I was out on street ministry in Waterloo. Um, we just would go into neighborhoods and knock on doors and give out groceries and offer prayer. And um, we had one package of diapers left, knocked on a door, and just said, is there anybody here that needs diapers? And this young woman said, well, I don't right now, but I will need them. And she invited us in. She began to tell us her story. Um, she was only 20 years old, and she was on her third pregnancy. She had had two miscarriages. Um, and she was told by someone at a church that she had miscarriages because of her behavior. And she was just um, obviously very shook from that. Um, and so she was weeping as we began to tell her the story of the woman at the well and um, just how Jesus offers forgiveness and grace. And um, she had said she wanted to have an abortion. Um, and I, I left that day just realizing what a privilege it was to be in that moment with her, to offer hope in Jesus' name. Um, and I just knew I want to continue to do this. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know what happened, but I, I just prayed that every time she looked at that package of diapers, that she would be reminded of the grace and the hope that's in Jesus. Um, so the, the services we offer. All of our services are free. We offer pregnancy tests, um, STD tests. Blackhawk County actually has the highest STD rates in the state. Um, so those are very necessary. Um, ultrasounds, our Waterloo Center offers ultrasounds, and we would love to have that be offered in Waverly eventually. Um, nine out of ten women uh, will choose life when they see their baby um, on ultrasound. So that's really important. Um, we offer parenting education, and we have a fatherhood program. We have male advocates meeting with our male clients. This is so important because 130% um, <clears throat> or sorry, men are more likely, are 130% more likely to um, be in leadership roles if they have a mentor. So we ha actually have um, a male on our staff. And he's so passionate about this. And I just absolutely love it. He really believes fathers are the key to so many issues in our society. So he is passionate, and um, he's doing a great job with our dads. He also started an all-pro dads chapter. Um, this is a program that Tony Dungy started. He's a former coach um, for the Indianapolis Colts. So this is an NFL-backed program. Um, and so Mike started this at our center, but he really wants to get it started in some of the elementary schools in Waterloo. Um, and it just creates space for fathers to um, connect with their kids and also learn about just strong character. Um, so they learn about honesty and self-control and all those good things. Um, and if a kid doesn't have a father, we're hoping to bring in volunteers from the churches um, to step in and be a 
uh, a fatherhood figure. Um, we also offer material assistance. So every time they come for their appointment, um, they get to learn about a topic that they want to learn about, whether it's uh, how to handle tantrums, right? Or how to swaddle a baby. Um, they get to choose, and then they get to shop our store for free. Um, they get diapers, wipes, baby blankets, um, all that they need. And they get to leave with probably about 50 to $75 worth of, of items. And if they bring the father of the baby or a male figure for the baby, um, they get to leave with double the amount. So that really incentivizes this idea that fathers are important. Um, prevention. We um, have healthy relationship classes. That is what I was doing last year. I was in the schools um, just teaching about healthy relationships. Um, so, and then we also have our sexual integrity classes. Uh, we have an ARC program, abortion recovery care. This is a six-week class for those that are just seeking um, some healing. And actually, one of our first clients that went through that class was a 70-year-old woman, um, which was just really beautiful. She was, you know, she had carried this for so long, and she wanted healing. So um, I just love that we offer that. We are totally donor-funded. We don't receive any government money. And so during COVID, it was really great. We were able to keep our doors open. Um, we serve, on average, 230 clients a month. And uh, one study shows that 83% of women who had abortions said they would have kept their child if one person would have given them hope. And so that's truly our desire to be a first stop for men and women um, facing an unplanned pregnancy, and we just want to give them hope. So if you have any questions, um, please come see me. And even if, you know, this touches you in a certain way where maybe you need healing or you would like prayer, I would just love to pray with you. So thanks so much. Kelsey will be out in the lobby at the table. Uh, if you would like to sign up to volunteer, uh, you can volunteer as little as one hour a month uh, with them uh, or, or step it up. If you want to donate to them to help them, as you heard, they are fully uh, donor-funded. Uh, so if you would like to help uh, in that way, uh, if you want to uh, help in, in uh, serving in one of those classes, or even you need to be a part of one of those classes, connect with Kelsey. Um, as I opened up, I, I, uh, uh, you heard me you know, talking about truth, but I also mentioned grace. Um, if you have had an abortion uh, or, or maybe closely connected with someone who has, I want you to know that there's grace you see the grace that God gave Cain. And this is before Jesus. God forgives you. Seek him, trust him, go after him. This is not the unforgivable sin. But also, let's do what we can to value people. Let's be part of the solution. For some of you, just volunteering at alternatives isn't going to be enough. Some of you, you're gonna need to take it a step up. God's calling you to something greater. Some of you, you need to become a foster family. You, you need to, to let kids come into your home for a time so that they can receive some love and attention. If you have any questions about uh, fostering, uh, I, I asked Sarah Corcoran if I could mention her name. Tim and Sarah have been doing respite uh, uh, support uh, uh, for several years now uh, for foster families, and so she'd love to talk with you. Sarah's back in Kids Creek today, uh, so you can catch her out in the middle, and if you don't know who Sarah is, just look for the really skinny blonde woman with the big 
pregnant belly. And you'll know, you'll know that Sarah. She's going to pop here in a, a few weeks. Uh, some of you, though, you need to go even a step further. Uh, you need to adopt. Um, if you want to know more about adoption and what all it takes, the joys, the struggles, all of it, uh, talk with our very own Matt and Tass- uh, Cassie Townsley. <laughs> Tassie Townsley. That would be a funny name. Uh, your next kid, right? Uh, but you can ask them uh, as, as uh, they uh, have had the joy of adopting Tyler and uh, Nathan, and uh, you can learn more from them. Uh, let's be part of the solution. If, if someone has human DNA, they matter to God. He does not delight in their death. And so let's do what we can to help people really find life, whether they are unborn or born, whether they are elderly or young, whether they're fighting a mental health battle or not, whether they got a physical disability or not, that, that if they have human DNA, they matter to God. His image is crying out to him. So let's be the people who are truly pro-life from womb to tomb and do everything we can to help God minister to these people through us. All right, so Heavenly Father, uh, we just pray that you would, uh, uh, <laughs> I pray that you would work uh, in all of our hearts. Uh, God, I realize as we dive into these controversial uh, subject matters, uh, some of us might be struggling. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us through that struggle, that we'd bring these, uh, these worries, these concerns, these arguments, this, this anger that we have to you and help us to sort through it, to truly understand what you are saying, not just what our culture is saying, not even what just I am saying, but what you as the God of the universe is saying to us through your holy scriptures, through the power of your spirit, what you've displayed through, through Jesus on the cross in the empty tomb. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people who would truly honor the image in others because they are valuable and they belong to you. So help us to truly be pro-life people that help people to find a life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna create space for you to just pray, uh, to worship, to uh, spend time with the Lord. And so at this point, we're going to open up our communion tables. If you are a first-time guest with us, we practice open communion, meaning if you have a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, this table is open to you. When you take those elements, you are recognizing that the bread represents Jesus' body and the, the juice represents his blood, realizing that he died in your place so that your sin might be forgiven. If that's your story, we invite you to worship in this way with us. But if you're here today and you're just not sure about the gospel, you're not sure about this whole story, then I'm just going to ask that you very respectfully not go to these elements. At Riverwood, we're not about a show. You don't need to put on a performance and make people think certain things about you. Your spiritual questions, someone sitting right next to you probably used to have those same spiritual questions. And so we understand the journey you're on. And so rather than come to these elements, we just encourage you during the song, talk to God, pray, ask him, is the whole thing about Jesus true? Did he really come to earth and live a sinless life, but go and die a sinner's death on the cross? And then if that story is true, would you give your life to him? Because as much as we want to protect the physical life of people because of the Imago Dei, the more important thing is helping you find your life in Jesus. Jesus Christ went to a cross, not just so you could kind of have a little more comfortable life here. He came to radically and fundamentally change you from the inside out. And that journey can start today. And so during the song, use this for what you need to. If you're a follower of Jesus, come to the elements. If you need some time to just pray and kneel, to sit, if you need to stand and sing, this is our time to connect with him because he loves us because his image is in us. 
So let us do this now in remembrance of him.